The biggest challenge for authors is that everyone thinks their life story should be a movie. And you've heard this, right? The book was better than the movie or the movie was better than the book. The truth is they're completely different writing styles. Write the world-changing book that will help grow your personal brand and your business as it makes the world a better place. Welcome to the Author's Corner, hosted by Robin Colucci. Every episode, we bring you some of the most successful authors, as well as other industry experts, to share some inspiration, motivation, tactical strategy, and fun. We'll also talk about the challenges and trends in the publishing industry. Don't get stuck in the idea phase. Join the Author's Corner today. Start writing the book you've dreamed about. Hello and welcome to the Author's Corner. I'm your host, Robin Colucci. And today we have a very special guest who I invited on specifically to talk about something that I get asked about all the time, but it's not really my area of expertise. And that is, how does one take a book and make it into a movie? Or should a person try to get a movie deal first and then write the book? or write the book first and get a movie deal? And what are all the different ways that we could translate a work from book to full-on movie-level production? And with that question in mind, I knew that there would be no better guest to address that than my friend, Charlie Fusco. Now, Charlie has worked on set, off set, and in editing suites, And along with her father, had sat in funding meetings since the age of six. Later, she received formal training as a writer, photographer, director, and did art direction at both Northwestern University and Boston University. In 2018, Charlie turned her full attention to starting and scaling TGC Worldwide, which manages personal brand evolutions. TGC has put clients on the New York Times bestsellers lists, secured the movie deals, expanded their charities, and has helped them achieve many other things that most would say are impossible. Her clients are looking to expand their impact on a global scale through philanthropic efforts, key collaborations, books, movies, one-of-a-kind events, and effective thought leadership. And today, Charlie gives us a peek behind the curtain of the world of film and movies, as well as the burgeoning and expanding world of streaming and all the new opportunities that are, that are available there. So I hope that you will enjoy hearing this interview as much as I enjoyed conducting it. Charlie, welcome to the Author's Corner. Hello, Robin. Thank you for having me. I'm loving the name. All authors always like envision themselves in a little corner with their book, reading it, first time getting it. So fantastic job on the name. How are you? Thank you. Thank you. I want to add one thing to that because also it's like we are in your corner, author. (laughs) Yes. You know, you're the boxer. I'm the coach in the ring. (laughs) Great analogy. My guests and I are your coach in the ring, right? Yeah. And I'm so happy to have you here today. One of the things I get asked about all the time is how does this thing work with getting movie, you know, selling the movie rights to my book? And I know that this is a question on a lot of not only authors' minds, but even people as they're thinking about becoming an author are already thinking about this question. And 
I could think of no one better to have on to talk to our audience about this today other than you. Well, thank you. Thank you. Um, you know, I will share what I, hopefully what I share is, is valuable. So where would you like to start? Well, gee, um, maybe just tell, tell our audience a little bit about a few things about how you even learned about this area and sure. you know, well, a little bit of your experience. Yeah. I feel like I've been in the movie, film, TV business forever because my father was in film financing distribution. He was a writer as well. I, there's pictures of me at five, six, seven years old, literally on film sets with the old cameras and things. But because my father was in that dark, ugly side of the business, which nobody loves to hear about or talk about, I was raised from an early age sitting in on conversations around how a film gets financed or packaged or greenlit right back in the day. And it's, it's kind of a shell game to some people, right? You could have a great script, but no director wants to touch it unless they know an actor is going to do it. But the actor doesn't want to commit unless they know there's a great director and the studios don't want to commit to a release date unless they know you've got the right director that's going to bring. And so how do you get all of these people to say, sure, if it gets funded, I'll be a part of a project. You know, that's the mystery dark art. And, you know, I remember my dad working on a film and when you do distribution rights and packaging, you don't get paid until the deal's done. Right. So my dad worked on a deal for two years and it was a, a Cinderella film, you know, a take on Cinderella. And at the end of the two years, the production company that said that they would do everything and then lined up all the pins and the directors there came and said, you know what, we're going to drop the project. We've decided not to do it, which was like crazy right after two years of work. But what happened six months later is that that same studio picked up the project, did it again, but this time Cinderella was black instead of white. And um, if you guys Google it, you'll know it was with Brandy, right? And I just remember going, how can they do that? How can you line up all the pieces and then they just drop it? Because all these actors and stuff. But what had happened is when it came time to go time, the studio was looking at the market and saying, you know what? We don't know if people want another Cinderella story with a white actress. So Mm -hmm. we're going to scrap it. Mm-hmm. And just imagine if you're the actor who had put your name on that for a year or the writer, <laughs> the director, right? So, yeah. you know, fast forward, I went to Northwestern. I went to film school. I'm going to be a documentary filmmaker, realizing that that's the fastest way to become homeless. Um, there is no money in documentary <laughs> filmmaking. <laughs> I got into using my skills in the infomercial world, which I spent about two decades mm-hmm. in everything from infomercials, rap music videos I've directed. And so as part of that though, in the selling world is books used to become a big part of infomercials. And if you think back to your favorite infomercial, you know, they would go and when you call now, you'll get this free book. Well, then all of a sudden, because we own the production company and we owned the call center and all these things, our clients started coming to us saying, Hey, how do we get a book for the supplements we're selling? Or how do we get a book for the exercise video? Or how do we, so we're like, okay, cool. We'll create a book. And we started um, not even really going to publishers because it was like a giveaway book, right? But we had a a book once that hit the New York Times as a result of this infomercial because we started shipping the books directly from retailers because it wouldn't fit in the box with the supplements up. So you'd buy the supplement package on TV, buy now, three months supply, get this free book. And and it wouldn't fit. So we're like, oh, whatever, just send it to them through those bookstores. Well, 17 weeks on the New York Times bestseller list later, we got really interested in how publishing works, right? (laughs) (laughs) You know, which has nothing to do with your question about movie rights. But really, 
how we as a firm look at movie rights and bestseller lists and streaming and things like that is for us, it's about telling the story in the right way at the right time to the right audience. And really when it comes to a a story, right? Does it have to be a book before it's a movie or a movie before it's a book, chicken, the egg, it could be either. When it comes to what are production houses looking for right now, they are buying ideas. They are buying finished manuscripts. They are buying manuscripts and then hiring out and having them rewritten. So really the reason we know all of that is because we've spent over two decades dealing with stories, talent, right? And so whether it's us doing a radio show endorsement campaign with radio commentators or working with Suzanne Summers, or, you know, it's just about creating a story. And so that's how we do it. And right now we have seven projects in streaming production, documentary, scripted, unscripted, you know, we work with a lot of the major producers and it can happen a couple of ways. We'll get a call saying, Hey, Charlie, we saw you were the literary agent for this story. We like the story. It's been picked up by a publisher. We'd like to option the film rights. That's an easy conversation. Right. Um, <laughs> That's right? a favorite conversation, right? <laughs> but I have another book that we're shopping to publishers. And um, at the same time, we're shopping it to streamers right alongside of it. And we're actually getting quicker interest at the streaming level than we are at the publisher level um, because books are so finite, right? In the shelf space, but streaming is not. So there's a lot of different ways. That's a good point. That's a good point. Yeah. That's a really good point. Fantastic. Yeah. So I remember in one of our, I think it was even our very first conversation, you were talking about that, how it doesn't have to be one before the other, right? It just really depends on what is, you know, what's, what's getting the most response Mm -hmm. for the project that you're pitching. Mm -hmm. Well, and I think it's the pandemic's been brilliant for authors and for storytellers and for streaming. I mean, there's just no end to the amount of content that's being picked up right now, but it's also changed. And here's one of the really fascinating things. I think especially authors or people who have a really powerful story to tell, they use words like, well, it has to be a feature film. Well, it it has to be a documentary. Well, this could be a, a reality show, right? But the truth is, the way people are consuming content now is so different. You know, right now, episodics or, you know, streaming series are getting picked up much faster than features and documentaries have made a comeback. Now there's as many people watching documentaries as film, but at the same time, podcasts, closed loop podcasts, which don't seem as sexy, but some of them are getting $300,000 deals because people suck down podcasts. So You know, the other thing is when you produce a video, let's say for YouTube, there's actually certain film and coloring that you should use because how YouTube serves up their video is different. And there's people that are doing it correctly on YouTube and you're watching amazing films on YouTube and YouTube's paying for them. And so a lot of people don't realize that, you know, I don't look at YouTube as a social media channel. I look at it as a film distribution platform. And so people are uploading their iPhone videos, right? And that's there, but then you can go and find extraordinary content and the way that YouTube serves up to their audience. And so it doesn't seem as sexy to say, oh, I sold my story to a closed podcast or YouTube because there's no Academy Award at the end, right? But when you think about getting your story to the most amount of people and who's willing to pay for it, the options there have just quadrupled in terms of what used to be. Wow. I've never even heard of that. Can you give me an example of the, are you talking about like people make their own films and then post them to YouTube or is it, are they shorter, shorter 
I'm just so tell me more because I've this is all news to me. I'm fascinated. Yeah. Well, you know who? Uh, let me see who would be good for your audience. Well, YouTube came out, and maybe some of your audience has a subscription to them, but they did YouTube Red, right? And when you go to YouTube Red, that is all premium content, and uh, YouTube pays for that content. One of the first ones that was put out was the Karate Kid reboot series, Cobra Kai. And oh, that's a, okay. Right. Yeah. And I so got you there. So I've had, right. we okay. The- and is that, was that the, was that that tiger guy? Was that also a similar thing or it, what was that? Oh, you're talking about the tiger King, the tiger King. Was mm-hmm. that a similar so way? Of- a, I mean, it was similar. I'm not, I'm not up on the, that a net, I can't remember. Yeah. Yeah. A deal. But when you think of it, there are production companies. I mean, even, this isn't tied to YouTube, but YouTube Red buys movies, buys streaming, and then they'll package it. And then through subscription content, they'll buy from people like Red Bull Productions, right? Which most people don't realize Red Bull has a production company, but they will produce that type of content because it's about matching it to the right audience. And the right audience on YouTube is searching differently. Right. That's so, that's so interesting. It's so different. You know, I have to ask you this because I have recently fallen in love with a streaming series called The Offer. Hmm. I don't, have you heard of it? No. Oh, well, you might enjoy it. (laughs) (laughs) I wanted, I have to have you back so we can just rip on The Offer. It's a dramatization of the making of The Godfather. Oh. And I've often thought of you when I've been watching it because of just, you know, it, it covers, you know, right from when uh, Paramount had bought the Godfather from the film rights from mm-hmm. Puzo for $15,000, you know, when the, before the book became a massive bestseller and, you know, just everything after that, that led to this epic brand of a movie. So anyway, it's really well done. And oh, fantastic. Um, I'm always looking to binge something. And, <laughs> yeah. And I've, I've, I've been really, really enjoying it. And it, it really is the, uh, you know, the thing that has really struck me, watching The Godfather and knowing that I've heard other stories of journeys that film have films have gone through, even like the one you were just saying with Cinderella, it, it almost seems like a miracle that any film gets done <laughs> because there were so many places where, where The Godfather could have completely just dissolved and evaporated and we never would have seen it. Do you have any stories of your own where you've had those kinds of experiences and maybe been able to keep it moving or not? (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I think that every deal is different and every producer is different and every distribution house is different. You know, I think that um, the challenge right now is that there's this convergence of the old way films and TV got brought to life. And then this new way and the new way is happening so quickly that most people don't spend the time to get educated on where the industry is and, or they don't align themselves with somebody who can go through it with that time. And so a lot of deals just get dropped because people aren't saying the same thing. The vocabulary hasn't unified. Funding is another big deal, right? For the people in the audience who maybe don't know this, it's not like you go to Sony and they just automatically say, sure, we'll buy it. There are so many layers before Sony of production partners, you know, whether you're using like a Citizen Skull or a Magilla or Village Roadhouse, they're packaging films and they're doing all the work. And then they're going to a Netflix or somebody and saying, hey, do you want this? 
And Netflix will say, yeah, great. You did all the work. We buy it. We'll take it. And then that's where the paycheck comes. And then they'll go and release it. Or Netflix will say, no, we're developing our own content and they have it. So it's really about the packaging of it. And the biggest challenge I think for authors is that everyone thinks that one, their life story should be a movie and (laughs) that their book is so good that it should be turned into a movie. And, And the truth is, and you've heard this, right? Oh, the book was better than the movie or the movie was better than the book. The truth is they're completely different writing styles. They're completely different storytelling styles. And so most authors where the deals fall through or the, or the lit agents fall through is they're not open to a production house coming in and saying, Hey, listen, loved your book, but we're not going to tell the story sequentially. We're going to come in at chapter eight. We're going to leave chapter four out. We're going to introduce this character. And so a lot of times it's like people get emotionally attached to it and it just never goes anywhere. Right. Right. Um, Yeah. I think there's that. And then really brevity, you know, people also want to tell these very long stories, but the younger generation doesn't want to watch anything over 20 minutes. Right. So it's being really scientific about your story. And a lot of times I just tell people that requires you to emotionally remove yourself from the conversation. Um, And that includes, sometimes you'll have a lit agent secure the rights to sell your movie in. Well, if they don't play in that world, they're essentially using the same skills they use to get Harper Collins or Penguin or random, you know, anybody to buy it. But that means nothing to the 27-year-old producer who's sourcing, you know, there. So I think those are more. Now, the other thing I could tell you is there's different ways to get something greenlit. Most people don't want to put up any of their own money or time or sweat equity. So they're constantly like bringing in sizzle reel producers or packagers or whatever. Sometimes you can come in and get a project to a certain level. Maybe you produce your first episode, maybe you produce a sizzle reel, maybe you produce the documentary footage and you bring it and you say, Hey, I've gotten the project to this level. Here's how I'm going to promote it when it comes out. That could be fast tracked a lot quicker now because you've, even if it gets changed, we're doing three deals right now where our clients um, funded the project to a certain point. So they're coming to a packager saying, Hey, we'll fund half a million dollars. We'll fund 250,000. And it's going to be based on this story. And here's the basic actors. And now all of a sudden that happens quicker because you can go to a distribution house and where your 250,000 may not mean anything to them. They look at it and say, okay, we can get traction, you know? And so I think just, there's a lot of ways to, to, to do it. Yeah. And it probably helps them get the vision too, right? Because they have something more concrete. Yeah. I mean, it's not unlike selling a book with you know, when you want to do a, a great book proposal, it's not about, look, I have a million social media followers and here's chapter one. It's about why does anyone care about this book? You know? <laughs> exactly. um, and so what is the imagery and the tone and the feel? Did you just try to like write another um, glass castle by talking about your impoverished background, but you don't really have the writing style. So it's, it's really, really important to, I think authors get so in love with their own story that they forget it's a business. And as horrible as that sounds, my daughter, who's an avid reader, writes, reads about five books a week, would say, mom, that is not true. Writers should just write this thing. I'm like, well, there's very few writers that can actually make a living writing. And two, if you don't treat it like a business, you won't do the research. You know, like imagine if you're in business in real estate, you know, you've done the research, you know, the contractors, you know, the attorneys you talk to because you're going to make money. But authors are just like, well, I went to Fiverr and I got a book cover and I went here and I got this published. And so now this beautiful, ugly baby I made here, Paramount, why aren't you buying it? Right. (laughs) (laughs) 
I'm laughing, but it, it really, it's sad. <laughs> it's like, it's, it's, it's only funny because it's so, it's so awfully true. You know, it really is. And, and, you know, I was thinking too, when you were talking about writing style, I mean, I don't think people realize just how few words film has compared to books. So, so brilliant. Yeah. That is a brilliant point. And that's exactly what I was saying earlier. It's a different way to present the story. And, you know, if you look now at any of the bestseller lists and whether you go to barnesandnoble.com and just click on their bestsellers, right? You are going to be shocked at how many of them are graphic animated novels. So the reading trend is less, right? If you are having your website designed right now, the first thing any good UI UX coder is going to tell you is less text, less text. If you look at Facebook ads, there is an actual percentage of letters that you're supposed to put on a Facebook ad, right? We are visual creatures. And so film is very much that way. And I'll take it one step further and tell you that there is an Israeli company that has already moved to the US. They, from the Israeli government, got a massive film grant to go and produce American films. Why? Because American films do great in Israel. So then they get picked up by, you know, other things. So the Israeli government said, great, go, go fund projects. And we're having these conversations and every country has their own version of films and and things like that. And so just like a book, is is your story going to translate to these other countries? Because most films at the smaller level, right. Are making more money internationally than they are nationally. So when you think about your story and is it um, a series or is it a doc or is it biopic or whatever, how does that story get told in other countries? Is the language and the imagery something they're going to find interesting? And, you know, there's been certainly shows like Squid Games was this crazy phenomenon, right? But I think that just sitting down and, and thinking about your story, and if I was in Asia telling my story, would it resonate? Or and, and when you ask those questions and you really start talking about the human experience as opposed to your experience. And I think that's a, a way that things get picked up. So finding like more universal themes, but with a unique twist. Right. A unique twist. And you know, Khan's film festival this year has been really interesting because there was, you know, Kristen Stewart's new film that I think some percentage of the audience walked out midway through. They were so offended by the content of this film. And yet she got standing, I think it was a five or seven minute standing ovation for wow. herself. Um, and, you know, Maverick oh, awesome. yeah, same thing. People are loving it at cons and they're really talking about how the story, even if you didn't watch Top Gun the first time, that the story is so elevated and it went in such a great place that it elevated the whole movie experience, right? So those are things that tells you Kirsten Stewart's film is, is, is called The Innocent and it's edgy. So it took, obviously you can't get a reaction like that unless it's a human experience, which is why people, some people got so pissed off and left and other people were like, wow, that's amazing that you covered those topics. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that that, you know, that's also, I believe true of books. I even wrote in my book that your, your book should be somewhat polarizing, right? You want to turn off the people who are not your ideal reader and really connect with the people who are, who are really going to get it. And you should never be afraid to, you know, or feel like you have to withhold what you truly believe so that you can try to please every reader. Cause then you just end yeah, up. I don't know. Yeah, absolutely. And I was just thinking 
I should probably correct. Kristen Stewart's film is actually called Crimes of the Future, but in ah. France, it was translated into The Innocent. Um, oh, okay. Oregon. But exactly what you just said. So I won't out this author necessarily on the podcast, but you know, we worked with an author a couple of months ago and their story is a, a memoir. And, you know, they were very, it was about 300 pages and they were very descriptive about their sexual abuse history. And the book comes out and she called me up and said, Charlie, all of my friends that said they would buy a book, um, they haven't bought it. Nobody's buying it. They're not having me come speak. Like she had a big platform. And really the book was so difficult to read. Yeah, You know, it wasn't even that it was like a bad subject. It was like so graphic Mm-hmm. that her male friends are like, not going to go and recommend this. Like, Hey, here's this great new book of my friend. Right. <laughs> right? And then read yeah. about all these horrific things that happened. And so I think you do have to choose your audience really wisely because it's not just about being horribly graphic or, you know, the Vigo Mortensen movie, the stuff they do and it is weird and it's edgy. So again, it comes down, it's a science. Yeah. And, and I do think that there's, and, and you're right. It's, your willingness to be transparent, your willingness to be vulnerable, but there's also that, you know, the other test. And I remember that this came up the first time for me when I was working with my mentor and we learned something about the subject of this book that he was working on that, you know, would have been, was titillating maybe, but would have been hurtful to people who were innocent in, it was a a spy about an actual spy who sold secrets to the Russians and fled to Moscow and had been working with the CIA. And we found out some personal things that might've been titillating to the reader, but really weren't essential to the story and, and would have caused undue harm, you know, to mm-hmm. other people. And so I do think that, and the other thing that's occurring to me as you're sharing that story is you also, if you're writing a book, you want to write a book that somebody would feel okay reading in an airport you know, with the cover showing, <laughs> unless you're writing a very specific <laughs> kind of book, you know, for a specific audience that wants to just read it at home in their bedroom, but, and, and to have, to write a book that people would want to tell other people about and feel comfortable telling other people about too. Yes. I really just do believe that when it comes to f- streaming content, let's say it's a film or television or doc or whatnot, who hasn't seen something where you're watching, you're like, how in the world did this get made? I just saw one the other day, right? Homer Wilson, love her to death. But like this movie called, I can't even remember the name of the ding dong movie. It's on Netflix. Now the basic premise is she's kind of trying to be popular in high school. She's about to be prom queen. Her whole life's going to come together. And she goes into a coma for 20 years and wakes up 20 years later. And is like, I just watched it. I did not get past 30 minutes of it. I was like, how has this accomplished actress looks great, lost all this weight? The how did this get greenlit, this movie? Right. Yeah. Right. So all I would say to your audience is as much as I think I know about selling a project, I clearly don't know everything because the, it is about really getting people passionately excited about the right thing. And I would hope that rumor watched the film and went, man, I should have read that script a little bit better. Man. <laughs> <laughs> but, um, you know, and every actor has that, that film that they were like, I can't believe I did it. And, yeah. you know, that is so important. I think to, so people who've maybe been trying to sell their book for a while, it's like, just sometimes 
you got to take a step back and say, am I saying the right words? Am I holding on to the right concepts? You know, because you need people to open the door to let you in the house. And so sometimes it's like you didn't send people to the right door. And that's where I would just challenge authors to look at their works differently. And if you could tell it graphically, would you, could you, if it was a video game, you know, one of the biggest video games, you know, going now is everyone's playing the Harry Potter game, right? So when J.K. Rowling wrote that, she wasn't envisioning, you know, 17 year olds playing the Harry Potter app. And I should say it's, you know, over 50 year olds too. My husband plays it all the time. (laughs) (laughs) So You know, I guess my advice to authors would be Mm. really, if you want to write a book and publish it, great, and let that book live. And that is what it is. But if you are trying to turn your ideas and stories and concepts into something that can live in multiple places, then you really need to treat it like a business, have a plan and have versions of the story, Mm -hmm. you know, have the version that I would say like, what would the 50-year-old cowboy from the Midwest, would they want to see this film? And would this play, would anybody under 18 care about this TV streaming series? Pretty much the only thing that right now I think is universal in terms of audience is true crime. True crime can get greenlit all day long, right? Right, right. <laughs> and we, we're, we're doing three true crime projects right now. And people are asking us for more, right? Because if right. you're 16, you're, you want to see the craziness. If you're 68, you want to see the craziness. Black, right. white, short, upside down. <laughs> right? So that's a really great category. But um, there's other things that people don't, you know, so you've got to really think is my, my point. Well, and I like that idea that you're saying about looking at it in different formats, right? So you can, maybe you can envision it as a film, but could you envision it as a, as a video game or an app or, and I could see, or even a graphic novel, right? And I could, I could really see the wisdom in that because that'll show you immediately. Do you have, how much action do you have, Mm -hmm. right? How much, where are the conflicts, right? Where are the, the aims of the characters and how high are the stakes, yeah. Right, because all of that gets amplified in yeah. a video game or an app or a graphic novel. It does, and you know, again, this sometimes this comes down to budget, where people are putting mm-hmm. their budgetary money. And but you know, here's another idea, and this this idea isn't something you should just go out and do. It's just <laughs> don't try this at home, folks. Don't try but, this at home, right? <laughs> you know, I want people to think about if you just started a book. Right. There's some basic formats of a book, paperback, hardback, audiobook, ebook. And that's how people think about it. But if you think about our ability to embed QR codes into a manuscript now, that QR code could pop up a one minute video, a one minute video representation of that chapter. It could pull up a survey, you know, it could engage that reader. Now you got to be careful that you're pulling people in and out of the book. But imagine if you're trying to seed a future film or a future documentary or future thing. If you spent a little time working with some video people or some animators and you created some juicy egg, you know, Easter eggs in that manuscript, you can embed them there. And now all of a sudden people go, I I wasn't envisioning it that way, but now I want to see it. Right. So there's Mm -hmm. pros and cons there. You want people when they read your story to have their own imagination and not be limited by what you put in there. And at the same time, if you have, the desire to do it. Imagine going to a production studio and saying, Hey, you know, I sold 10,000 copies of this book, not a big deal, but in the selling of it, I've had 
15,000 people register the QR code as wanting the next episode in this little mini series I did, right? Mm-hmm. Now you're coming yeah. with data and they're saying, wait a minute, this little three minute movie, think about it like a little trailer that you put in chapter five of the book, 15,000 people registered for part two. Yes, they did. Okay, great. We're going to green light this, you know, because they can yeah. now. Right. Because so, that takes a lot of the risk out for them. And they're, yeah, right. that's brilliant. Brilliant idea. So it's, it's been really, and I think what I would also say is not everything should be in your book. Not everything should be in your film or your streaming, you know, like leave something for people to buy the next book or to see the next episode. And so when you start thinking about what you could take out, or you start thinking of the format of how your book could come to life video or thematically, I think it changes a lot of options for you. Yeah. And be thinking about series too. Right. And yeah, I mean, really, you, can you tell, can you do it in eight episodes, eight, you know, somewhere between eight and 12, mm-hmm. you know, could you do it in three? Because there's also been some, yeah, right. Yeah. Things like on Netflix, it's, or no, it's on Apple TV, I believe, or HBO, oh, HBO Max, Julia, the new Julia is brilliant. Oh, and it's yeah? released every Thursday. And some of that they do to test the audience. Um, the new, and just like that, with you know the new Sex and the City reboot, just barely got season two greenlit because they were only going to test it for once, right? Huh. So there has to be enough content to be able to have a season two, but don't be afraid of just selling season one. And season one could maybe just be the first half of your book. So when you're putting together a full proposal or a streaming proposal, it's not a fire hose. Don't give these people so much that they don't know what to swallow. You back it on and, and laser focus them and allow them to see it, right? It's about painting the picture to an investor and that kind of thing. And speaking of investors, you know, we just had a project greenlit. The, this investor that is not in the film business, they're in regular manufacturing business, fell so in love with our author's story, wrote a check for a million dollars and said, I'll back your doc. I just want to do that. There are a lot of oh. investors out there that want to fund great stories. Hmm. So they're not, they don't know anything about doing it, but there's right. a lot of them that will fund a story if it's truly authentically moving. Uh-huh. So I think that that's where you have to really think about your network and think about have you put enough time into your book, into mm-hmm. the story, you know, if you really thought it out, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, because. And really not every, I don't know, do you think every story could potentially lend itself to film? Or do you think that there are certain stories that are more saleable when it comes to film? Well, my previous statement is <laughs> there's a lot of crap <laughs> being produced. So I don't know. Yeah. I, I, don't think- <laughs> <laughs> I know, right? There's yeah, no, um, I know after, after watching the cheerleader movie, I, you know, you have to question <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Um, I don't think everything is a feature film. That is a massive investment of time, right? An hour and a half to two hours. It's also massively expensive. It takes a very long time. When you look at some of the stuff that you know, great actors are producing right now, Mark Ruffalo was buying books and turning them into stuff. And they're shot on red cameras and iPhone cameras, and they're gritty and they come through. I think a perfect example is the book Made. You know, like when it was four or five years ago, Made came out and nobody really looked at it. Netflix gets a hold of it, chops it up into 12 pieces and people devoured it. And then it actually hit the New York Times bestseller list. Mm. That movie, you are not going to sit through for an hour and a half. Like how many hours are you going to sit there and watch this woman just get beat down on her luck and lose her kid? And right. You kind of want to take a break from the first episode 
take right. it eat and go, okay, wow, that that's still lingering. I'm going to go watch the other ones. Right. So I don't right. think everything is um, a film. I don't know. I don't think everything's streaming. I think some things actually deserve to be docs or podcasts. They don't even need to go to film. It, it just really depends. You know, here's the other thing that is super happening right now with the rise of platforms like Twitch and TikTok, you can access some very powerful influencers. Some are gamer influencers, some are TikTok influencers, some are celebrities. And celebrities and influencers are very savvy about what they can do with a film or an audience or piece of video content. And so a lot of the times, if you are have something you feel is really powerful, a manuscript or something, I would never send this to them, but you can access these influencers a lot easier than you think. And sometimes getting an influencer to say, hey, man, chapter seven, I feel like is you. Would you read chapter seven? And if the influencer huh, right, reads right, it, yeah. right, and they, they love it, they'll make, make a phone call and say, hey, you wanted me to star in something? I found my script. So yeah. that's the other part is yeah. getting the right champion. And I would say influencer over actor right now because mm-hmm. production houses and things are really looking at Twitch and TikTok and Discord and even Reddit is an undiscovered place where films are getting greenlit because all of those places are communities. Mm-hmm. So it's like you're test piloting the concept in very hungry communities. And so if you go into the sub rooms of Reddit, you'll see people releasing chapter by chapter or manuscript by manuscript. And you'll there's producers looking and comment and seeing. And that's the same thing that's happening on Twitch when people game play and, um, and talk. So I think really thinking about all of those areas and treating them individually is how you'll have more success getting it greenlit. All right. I know that the question I need to ask you now, because you have provided so much valuable information and I just have this vision of your inbox blowing up after people listen to this episode. So I would love for you to share with our listeners is when is the perfect time for someone to come to you if they wanted to try to move forward with something like this? And Um, when it's not, (laughs) but I help you out. I'm going to help out your admin team. (laughs) Yeah, help in my admin team. So, you know, we are, I would say we're not the place for self-published authors to come and say, I have this really great story. Would you do it? And that is not to disparage self-publishing. It's to put it in a category of saying, if there's not a significant commitment to what you're trying to do and commitment is time is resources all of that. We're probably not the right place because we we're working in a certain realm and, and, and level, but the type of, or the timing around it, I guess it depends on where you are as the person. Right. Um, so I can give you a couple of examples. You know, Perfect. we get people that come to us six months before their book is launching saying, Hey, can you help me get the book in stores and sell more and put it in all the bestseller lists and just get it out there. And we're like, sure. Um, but just really one question, the day your book's released and people buy it, then what? what, what's happening after the book. And then from there, we're able to see what the real goal is and come in. So that happens quite a bit. And we're able to use that six months to build some stamina behind the book itself in this, in the film community. We have an author that went and had the book ghost written. So they don't have a publisher. They don't, they want a film. They don't, they want both. So we like that because we can help get them a publishing deal. We can work with their literary agent if they already have one. 
but we can sit there and then before there's too much PR around it, we can help craft that story in a way that people will pick it up. So that's also a great place. And, you know, then I would say the other one is if you've had a book out that's had moderate success, sometimes we can take that and use it to sell in. Okay. Now, the other thing that I would say we're really good at, and we have three clients that we're doing this with now, if you don't have a book and you have no intention of writing a book and you just are really great entertainer, character, influencer, talker, storyteller, those things right now are getting greenlit too. People are don't realize that they can be part of stories and things in streamers, but sometimes just even telling your story in unscripted is getting greenlit. So for example, we uh, again, we work with a true crime journalist. Well, there is equal interest in her books to be scripted into series as there is in asking her to develop an unscripted show where she helps people call in with crime tips, you know, uh, murder tips and things, and they kind of cr- crowdsource finding the killer, right? And oh, that's wow. Done, yeah. they're, they're more interested in her story doing that, right? Like her being right. a part of that developing story. So if you have an expertise, let's just stick with true crime. Maybe you used to work for the FBI. Maybe you're in forensics. One of our clients is so fun, but she's a dissector, which is not a real word, I don't think. But you know, when you go into the museum and you see the body parts like cut in half and oh yeah, flown yeah. to Germany once a year, and um, she does <laughs> all this crazy body work, right? So there's interest in having her come on and do one of those extreme crazy jobs. It's not her book. It's not a documentary or feature film, but it is three, four, five segments that people are going to watch. And then from there, it's easier to get a book deal or to get a film deal because your true person was, you built an audience. Fantastic. Great, great ideas. Great advice. I cannot believe we are nearly at an hour. So what (laughs) I'm going to do is ask you my, my favorite final question, which is what is the question I did not ask you that you would love to answer. Oh, that's a great one. I should have prepped for this. Um, it's more fun to put people on the spot. <laughs> I get asked a lot, why am I not churning out a book every year? Why am I not selling You know, life? If I know all the stuff and we're doing it, why am I not doing it? So I guess the simple answer is the whole cobbler's you know, shoes thing. But I am not, I have stories. I have plenty. I did a book 10 years ago that's out of print. I think that I am, I will, but it has to be so correct. So right. To me, my stories aren't any more interesting than anybody else's stories. But I think that when I see a story come up and surface, I think I'll know it. Right. And I don't know if that'll be another book or it'll be film or it'll be this, but for me, I want the next project I do that would be centrally focused to be something really cool. So I've been um, kind of sitting back and going, okay, when is that cool factor in content going to happen? Because there's so much happening right now with the conversions of AI media and, and people's attention spans. And so I'm working on a couple of concepts, but I'm really looking, I have this idea of a story being told and you have to chase it by medium. So again, this is another idea that's unfirmed, but what if I released a book and it was only one chapter big and you have to buy that book to understand what happens, but then chapter two is released as a TV episode on Netflix, but then chapters three and four are a short film. And then I have to go into TikTok and watch a series to get the end. Like I feel like there's some <laughs> cool 
interesting can be done. And as a filmmaker by trade, how do you keep all of the audience members? Like, I don't read a book. Why would I reach it? Well, you have to now, right? Or I don't like documentaries, but you will like this one episode. So I really have this idea of taking all of the mediums and telling one story, but making the author, the, the reader group have to follow you through the medium. So that's kind of what I'm working on. What an interesting innovation. <laughs> well, we'll see if it can actually be done. <laughs> <laughs> I, I like it. You know, one thing I like about it is that it, it would force people to step outside their comfort zones. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So, which is always, you know, it's good to do that. Keep keep your brain uh, flexible. (laughs) Well, and clearly the chapters that that would have me prominently featured would be in a medium that I could like airbrush and suck in and look perfect. (laughs) (laughs) The ones that be ugly crying will be in like print where there's no pictures. (laughs) Perfect. Yes. All ugly crying is in print. Exactly. (laughs) Text text only for ugly crying. Insert ugly cry here. Yeah. (laughs) Well, Charlie, this has just been so fantastic. And you have shared innumerable insight into the mystery of where film and books connect. And I want to thank you again for being with us today on The Author's Corner. Oh, I appreciate the opportunity. And I hope we served your audience well. I believe you have. Thank you. (laughs) All right. Thank you. Thank you for tuning in to another amazing episode of The Author's Corner. You're one step closer to writing the world-changing book you've dreamed about for years. To access today's show notes and other helpful resources, simply visit our website at theauthorscorner.com. A positive review would be appreciated. Until next time.